From KMUW Studios in Wichita, Kansas, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Beth Golay, host of KMUW's Marginalia Podcast. And I'm Suzanne Perez. I'm the resident book reviewer here at KMUW. Now, this episode was recorded on September 1st, 2021. So any references to new or forthcoming or things like that are relative. Good morning. Hi, Beth. How are you today? I'm good. We we figured out how to not do this on a Monday. <laughs> Still very early, though, so if you hear some coffee sipping, uh, that would be me. Because I forgot to grab my cup. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, we had a first episode, we had a second episode. So in journalism, we say three is a trend, right? Okay. So, so now we are officially a trend. <laughs> well, we're finally getting it on our calendars. So. <laughs> And we are going to try and, and, and record this pretty much at the top of the month, correct? Yes, we are. So we'll, uh, we'll get it out to you monthly. I don't know about you, Beth, but this time of year has me just like really jazzed about reading. I, I've sort of hit a new stride after that. Uh, I want to say after the pandemic. We can't say after the pandemic because <laughs> no, the pandemic is with us still. But um, you know, during the pandemic, it was so hard to concentrate on reading. And I was just reading uh, just very inconsistently and, and not feeling very inspired. But I don't know what it is about wanting fall. It's not also not fall yet because it's still 100 degrees here in Wichita. But um, something about this back to school time or something has me just really, really excited about reading. Yeah, I, I, I think it's the school buses that we see yeah. and, and the, you know, the, the kids waiting with their backpacks. And just this morning, I sharpened a pencil. So I mean, <laughs> there is something <laughs> to that. It's the smell of a newly sharpened pencil. Yeah. And also this this time of year, it seems like all the and we mentioned this last time, I believe, but all the big hitters are Yes, you know all, all the all the the publishing houses are coming out with their their really really good stuff that they want nominated for all the the major awards. So this is a really good reading season, right? And we don't have any of the the books on our list yet. We'll probably be talking about them next month. But we are both reading big books from Ruth Azeki, Amor Tolls, um, Anthony Doerr, Lauren Groff. I mean, Sarah Winman. Yes. Oh gosh. Yes. Uh. Can't wait. So next well, you're month. reading. you're reading them. I'm looking forward to reading them. <laughs> <laughs> Beth reads stuff very, very early because on Marginalia, she talks to the authors, usually uh, prior to publication date. So, so she gets an early look at stuff. Yes. Well, uh, what have you been reading lately, Beth? I have. Um, I've been reading for Marginalia, and um, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but I've been reading for school. Back to school means I am back to school That's as well. Right, so. for your undergrad school. My undergrad school. <laughs> <laughs> We were talking the other day, and <laughs> Beth said, I, I remember reading that in undergrad school. <laughs> and I said, I think that's called college. <laughs> oh, gosh. But now I, I've taken to calling it undergrad school, yeah. so that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I am, I'm getting another degree, in this time in English, Yay. so it's been really fun. I so think I have three classes left. I do one per semester. I tried two once. What's, your, what's your class this fall? Uh, major British Writers 2. Ooh, is that is that too like um, the second tier writers or is it by date? It's by date. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got like Dickens and George Eliot up here, and, and these are the mid list writers. writers. <laughs> <laughs> and you got the B cuts, the B side writers from Great Britain. Uh, okay, so it's by date. So yes. you're going how how far uh, into the modern age? Does that one go? Do you know? Well, we're just starting in the semester, but let me look. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, just curious. curious. <laughs> this is off topic, but <laughs> it's still about reading, so. Okay, hang on. I can do this. I don't even, I've never heard of this. See, that's the problem is I'm introduced to these as we go along. Bowen, Mysterious Core? 
Hmm. That's the last thing we read. Um, I see uh, we have to read Joyce. Oh, wow. We have to read Heart of Darkness by Conrad. Um, some 20th century poetry. Okay. So it Os- gets- Oscar Wilde. I'm, I'm moving backwards, but Oscar Wilde. Oh, uh, Lewis Carroll. Oh, wow. That'll be great. Yeah, should be fun. How exciting. And yeah, I just, I love that, you know, when you get into a class and everyone's reading the same book and you just have those great discussions about it. Yeah. But, you know, for modern day, I've been reading. Um, yes, I, I what, have you, I have, yes. <laughs> what have you been reading lately that's not for undergrad school? I think I have four books that I'm talking about this time. Okay. Um, a Mouthful of Air by Amy Koppelman. It is a re-release from $2 Radio. It's been compared to feminist works, you know, such as Charlotte Perkins Gilman's The Yellow Wallpaper and Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar. Um, It's a statement on motherhood, about family and survival. The main character is torn between the love she feels for her family and the idea in her head that they would be better off without her. And so... um, It's a little bit depressing. uh, Yes, it's... (laughs) The yellow wallpaper and the bell jar. But Mm. it's very important. I mean, I don't need my books to be happy. Maybe we should talk about that. We will. (laughs) Absolutely, because I love a good dark tearjerker of a book. Yes, and there's a movie coming out soon. It might actually be out right now. The movie rights, the screen rights were acquired by Sony. It has a star-studded cast. I've not seen it yet, but I look forward to it because it was just really powerful. I mean, it's a really hard look at mental illness and suicide, and it's um, it, was, wow. it was a great read. And that's A Mouthful of Air. A Mouthful of Air by Amy Koppelman. Love it. Okay. Well, that, that's that's right up my alley, too. I do love a – I have to be in the right mood for it, mm-hmm. obviously. But, yeah, you don't want to pile dark book upon dark book upon dark book in your, your reading um, agenda. But uh, that's – no, that that's intriguing to me. Yeah. What about you? Oh, well, one of the books I've read lately is called 21 Truths About Love by Matthew Dix. Now, this is an, a backlist for me, so I'm actually quite proud of this. <laughs> you should be. I'm, I'm all, always um, attracted to the new and shiny uh, new releases. This one came out in 2019, and what drew me to it is its structure. It's a novel told in list form. So Matthew Dix is uh, known for, and I didn't realize this until after I read the novel, but he's um, a Grand Slam champion for the the Moth Story Slam. Which can be heard on KMUW. And NPR, that's right. (laughs) Um, I I didn't even realize that, but it's so evident in his storytelling ability. First of all, the setup is, this is told from the point of view of a young man who is expecting his first child, and he has very sort of contracting views about that he's you know nervous and excited and mostly nervous (laughs) he's also just opened a bookstore he's left teaching because of and this is what's funny you can gather all this from the lists that he makes Um, but he was frustrated with teaching and and the administration at his school and said you know heck with it all I'm going to open a bookstore because everyone knows that when you open a bookstore you just get to read all the time and (laughs) I'm, I'm trying not to it. laugh. I know. That's what everyone thinks about a bookstore. Every bookstore owner I've ever <laughs> I've ever talked to said, oh, my gosh, no, that could not be further from the truth. So, And, and he's experiencing that. But, yeah, the, the list can be anything from texts from my wife over the lunch hour to, you know, pet peeves. I mean, it's just it's really, really fascinating and well told. There were several laugh out loud moments for me. There were some poignant moments. And I just thought it was just all around a a fantastic novel. That's 21 Truths About Love by Matthew Dix. 
we've mentioned this in passing. I don't know how many of these mentions made it to the final cut, but I am your producer for your book review that you do for the station. And when you reviewed this book, I remember you sent it to me and I was I was in a vehicle with our news director, Tom Shine, because I was doing something for En Route. And I get the email from you and I said, oh, this is why I love Suzanne. This review is in list form. <laughs> I just really thought that was clever. Well done. Thank you. Thanks. It was, um, yeah, it just, it inspires you to just sort of make lists and keep <laughs> journals. And interestingly, after I read this, I sort of went out looking for new and upcoming novels that are told in a different structure. And I just got an advanced copy of a novel called Several People Are Typing by Calvin Kasolke. I'm so looking forward to this. It is told in Slack conversations. Oh, my word. (laughs) Yeah. So, and I work for the Kansas News Service, and we live on Slack. We are on Slack all day long, so I cannot wait to dig into this one, too. That's Several People Are Typing by Calvin Kosolke, and it comes out September 7th. So it'll it'll be out by the time this airs. Well, that reminds me of another book that came out in 2018. There's a, a couple that I know. So it's Hillary and Mike Gustafson, and they moved from New York City to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and they opened a bookstore um, named Literati. And so in the bookstore, you know, a lot of the elements throughout the bookstore are just typewriter elements. And so they have typewriters there, and they invite people to, like, type on them. Oh, very cool. It is very cool. And I talked to him about how many, you know, how many times he has to have it repaired and how many, you know, he gets typewriters from people who know that, you know, People don't know how to type on a typewriter uh, anymore, so they don't know to take it slow. Yeah. Um, but and he, where is that? In Ann Arbor? In Ann Arbor, Michigan, and, cool. and it's Literati Bookstore. But they opened this store, and they started noticing that some of the things that people would leave on this typewriter some were just fantastic. And so they published a book, um, and it's called Notes from a Public Typewriter. Oh. And it's really – they're just – they're fantastic. The book is fantastic. The store is fantastic. Oh, great. So, not that I've been found. there. Speaking, so speaking of uh, books told with different structures, I love yes, that. Yeah. I love it. I was it. just tacking And I'm adding it. that to my bookstore bucket list. There you go. Oh, yeah, <laughs> me too. You should, uh, you should just go follow them on Instagram. I will. I will. What's your next book, Beth? Okay, so my next book is titled Three Rooms by Joe Hamya. And the three rooms, it's it's kind of a reference from uh, Virginia Woolf. She said a woman must have money and a room of one's own. And, you know, Joe Hamia pushes that adage into the 21st century, and she pushes it to this generation of people with rented rooms because she has this idea that what a woman needs now is an apartment of one's own, which mm-hmm. she thinks is the ultimate mark of financial stability, but it's unattainable for many. Right. And I had read in the Louise Candlish book that I spoke about last episode that there's just this housing crisis going on in, in London and you can, you just can't afford to buy or rent. I mean, so many people are couch surfing or, or in living. In many places in the United States, right. too. But right. I had no idea it was as bad as it is in, in London. Wow. So this was a, a kind of a, a reminder of that. But this was beautifully written. And um, just, it was a fun book. And it's Three Rooms by Joe Hamia. And it is a, a novel. It's fiction? It is a novel. Okay. It says right here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's what the covers have to tell us these days, don't they? <laughs> sometimes. Just in case we don't know. It's in the fiction section or, right. you know, sometimes we need to know. It's a novel. Yeah. So, I mean, this the narrator is looking. It follows her for a year in the three rooms that she lives in. Oh, wow. And the third one is, you know, well, you'll have to listen to the uh, podcast because yeah. the third one is debatable. But That's a great premise. Yeah. I like that. 
So Great. it's Three Rooms by Joe Hamia. Okay. God, that's going to take a big edit. <laughs> and there's our there's our title. <laughs> Episode three. God, that's going to take a big edit. Okay. Uh, my second book is Razor Blade Tears by S.A. Cosby. Sean Cosby is uh, a writer from Richmond, Virginia. This book, I, I read it because I heard about it on a podcast I listen to currently reading. And uh, one of the hosts of that podcast was raving about it. And then I did some research. And this is not my normal fare, <laughs> let's just say. But this is a gritty sort of uh, revenge novel. The premise is these two older men, both of them ex-convicts, uh, their sons were gay and married to each other. Both of the men had real problems with that, with accepting that uh, in their lifetimes. And then their sons are tragically killed or murdered on their anniversary. And these two dads basically uh, take it upon themselves to go out and find their son's killers and avenge their deaths. And there's so many different topics that this book tackles. It's uh, race and class and privilege and LGBTQ issues and all of that is sort of wrapped up in what is an extremely propulsive novel. And it, it just had me on the edge of my seat. I listened to this on audio, which I highly recommend. And it was just really plot driven, but also you really see these characters grow. So I love that in a novel. Uh, be warned though, this one is extremely violent. We're talking about like Kill Bill level <laughs> violence in this one. Um, none of it really superfluous to the story because mm -hmm. it's it's very integral to the story but it's just just you know be warned that there are some scenes of uh, lots of blood and guts and things like that but that is razor blade tears by s.a cosby i really loved it okay so my next book is titled a play for the end of the world by jai chakrabarty and it's a novel but it is about a play that is based in truth so there's a, a bengali play um, when it was written it was either it was called like the post office and there was a, a man who staged a performance of this play in the Warsaw Ghetto in 1942. And his name is Janusz Gorczak. And he is a real person. And he put on this play to kind of let the, these orphans get a sense of what was to come, their fate that was awaiting them. And in real life, I mean, these I think there were 192 orphans. And he and his staff, they, they dressed him in their Sunday best. They had their bag of their favorite belongings, and they marched to the cattle cars, and he died with them. He had the chance to get out, oh but gosh. he died with them. Well, in the fictional version, the staging of that play is recalled through the lens of two boys who were to be murdered at Treblinka, but they survived, and it's about what follows. So, you know, when we meet this this narrator, it's Yarek, we, we meet him in, in New York City in the 70s which is only 30 years after when that happened, which is, it, the timing is difficult for me to, to wrap my head around and to stomach, honestly. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it takes place in 1970, and Yark is, is drawn to this woman, Lucy, who was born in North Carolina. And so it's about their romance, but it also is about, you know, Yarek and Misha are two of these boys that survived that Holocaust, and they're both in New York City. And Yarek follows Misha to India because they're they're both following up on this idea that art can change lives and they're restaging this play with the hope of affecting change for what's going on in 1970s um, India, wow. 1972 India. So it was just it was really well done. It was um, beautifully written and it was it was 
powerful. It was emotional. And is this a debut novel? Is this? It is. Oh, wow. Actually, um, this gentleman, he is a code writer. He's a, a techie. And really? he, he quit his job to, you know, to get his MFA. Oh, my gosh. These people <laughs> make me sick. Like, you know, like the uh, author of Falling, who was, you know, oh, right. a flight attendant and just happened to write this best-selling novel during red-eye flights from L.A. to New York. <laughs> yeah, and I talked to him about this gulf that often exists between humanists and the scientific, and he was able to bridge that gulf because he still writes, but he still codes. Wow, so he's very uh, right and left brain yes. then. Yeah. Wow, how admirable. That's Oh, that, that sounds great. So Thanks that's, for bringing that one. Yeah, it's A Play for the End of the World by Jai Chakrabarty. Okay. Apologies if I got that wrong. <laughs> um, my third one is When the Stars Go Dark by Paula McLean. Um, again, another genre I don't really explore much, so I'm reading out of my comfort zone these days, but that's good. But Paula McLean was actually known for her novel, well, she's, she's had several novels previously, none of which I've read. Uh, but The Paris Wife, I um, imagine, I think was uh, based on Ernest Hemingway's wife. Anyway, <laughs> I think that's right. I hope that's right. Um, but this one, When the Stars Go Dark, is a essentially a police procedural mystery. Now, I never read these. Again, this was kind of all over Instagram, Bookstagram, and it was highly, you know, raved about on a lot of the the other bookish podcasts I listened to, so that's why I picked it up. But it's a police procedural mystery, but with a lot of character in it. So the main character, Anna Hart, has just experienced a personal tragedy, but she also has this gift of finding missing people. And it's set in, and (laughs) I've since heard that a lot of mysteries are set in the late 90s, because that's pre-cell phones, pre mm-hmm. a lot of the CSI things that make uh, murder so easy to solve these days. <laughs> so anyway, so it's set back then, and it's actually partly based on the Polly Kloss um, kidnapping and murder uh, that happened in Northern California, where this was the, the young girl that was uh, abducted during a sleepover. Tragic, tragic story, but it led to uh, a lot of changes in the way that police approach missing people and, and even the Amber Alerts and things like that. Anyway, this uh, novel was incredibly well written. The author, it turns out, Paula McLean, grew up in foster care, and her character has a foster care background. There's also some sexual abuse in her background that she's been very open about talking about, and that's a factor in this book as well. So it's very authentically written. There were lots of surprises, which mystery uh, readers will be uh, very happy about, a suspense and a, a really fulfilling ending and I just I really enjoyed it and it was like I said out of my wheelhouse Um, but that's When the Stars Go Dark by Paula McLean. What's next for you Beth? Okay what's next for me is a middle grade novel. Yay! It is, um, it's Willow Dean by Catherine Applegate. Oh, Catherine Applegate. It's not quite out yet, but it should be probably by the time we get this podcast out because you know how I work. (laughs) And, um... She's a Newbery winner for, yes. is it the one and only Ivan? Uh, the one and only Ivan. Talk about a, a book you want to hug. My goodness, I love that book. Well, this one is, um, it's a fable. You know, Catherine Applegate wrote this with the idea that children's books can help kids cope with climate change anxiety. And so she wrote this this fable that is timeless. You don't exactly know, I mean, it could be set anywhere at just about any time. And, um, you know, one of the early chapters ends with this line, the earth is old and we are not, and that is all you must remember. And so it's just really empowering for, you know, things that young people can do to affect change, 
one line in the book said, you know, if you combine a lot of whispers, you end up with a roar. And so it was just really the narrator, she faces tragedy. um, But then there's there are just so many nuggets of wisdom and hopefulness in it. So it's a it was a lovely read. I love that that idea that I don't love the idea that there is climate change anxiety. But what a that that's very that's just interesting that a novelist would recognize that I mean climate change anxiety yes I bet a lot of kids do have that like you know we're just bombarded with all of the stuff that's you know wrong with our world and and things seem so hopeless that it's nice that that middle grade authors are sort of approaching that and giving kids something to to hope for and root for yeah I can't wait to read it that's definitely going to be on my list I love her Oh, thanks. <laughs> She's handing me the book. <laughs> a made-for-radio moment. She hands me the book with a smile. Willow Dean by Catherine Applegate. Yes. What about you? What's My next? last uh, book for this month that I'm bringing to you is A Beautiful World, Where Are You? A new release by Sally Rooney. Oh, nice. So this is, people will know Sally Rooney from her Normal People novel, which is a Hulu series as well. I read Normal People. She also has another novel, Conversations with Friends, that I have have not read. This one is called Beautiful World, Where Are You? And it is typical Sally Rooney. It is uh, young adults dealing with young adult stuff. That's essentially your premise. So there are two characters, Alice and Elaine, and they live in Ireland. Sally Rooney is an Irish author. And it's basically just they're going about their business one of them lives in Galway, which is a more sort of, I, I imagine, a, a more blue-collar town. And then one is in Dublin. One is a writer, a very, pretty successful writer. One is uh, works in book publishing, literary magazine. Anyway, I'm listening to this on audio as well. And the structure, again, is interesting to me. It alternates between narrative scenes describing these women's lives and emails they send to each other. So every other chapter will be an email from one to the other. But what was so striking to me, it starts you off like it really puts you in the middle of a scene at the very on page one in Alice's life, and you don't know exactly what's going on in chapter one, and you don't know exactly what's going on in chapter two, the first email. But then in chapter three, Rooney manages to catch us up on both women's lives within a, a matter of a few pages. It's it, it's incredibly done, so well written. Um, and then uh, the thing that cracks me up too is it focuses on these, you know, tiny little moments in these women's lives where, you know, they, they don't know whether, you know, the guy they're seeing is seeing someone else, that sort of stuff, that really prosaic everyday stuff going on. And then their conversations in the emails are like, philosophical about politics and religion and climate change and just these big huge issues so I love the way it sort of goes back and forth between the everyday and the bigger ideas so I really loved it Sally Rooney beautiful world where are you so that's a new release in September oh very nice yeah okay so now I'm going to quickly go through the books that I'm reading for English class (laughs) (laughs) do you you mean undergrad school yes yes These are the books I'm reading for my undergrad school. I'm going in reverse order for a reason. So the, the A Vindication of the Rights of Woman by Mary Wollstonecraft. And this is the second time I've had to read this. I, I had to read part of her for, um, oh, I took a class. My class was called Jane Austen. So I had oh, to read yeah. um, this book for that. So but, you didn't just read Jane Austen? 
in Jane well, Austen we had class. To, we had to we had to do the research. You know, when for a classical education, you have to read the novel that was written in those days, but then you also have to read like a history and the essays and just to get a, a well-rounded view of what Jane Austen was thinking when she was writing her books. You of have to course. know what was going on in the world. Right. And so that's why we would like be introduced to Mary Wollstonecraft, gotcha. things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. So this book was published in 1792. Wow. Going it, way backlist here, Beth. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm quite proud of my backlist <laughs> reading. So Mary Wollstonecraft was a novelist, a literary critic, a political writer, a writer on education, and the writer of educational literature. Um, she was a children's author, a travel writer, and a translator. She was one of the earliest advocates of women's rights, and um, this text was... It's the most famous early text on women's rights in the English language. She was also the mother of Mary Shelley. <laughs> ah, which, yes. So, so a Renaissance woman. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, right before that, I read the interesting narrative of the life of Olado Equiano. And this is a first-person slave narrative. So he was writing about the treatment of slaves from wow. Africa. He was able to, you know earn his manumission in like 1766 and this was published after that this was published in 1789 and it was one of the early timeline events that um, started the romantic period Hmm. so I mean there is some speculation you know in in 1999 can you get extra credit for this (laughs) maybe Um, you know, in 1999, Vince Coretta suggested that Equiano was actually born in South Carolina as a slave. So there is some um, doubt being woven as to whether or not he actually lived this or if, if, he w- if it was a composite of other people's stories. Right. But I don't care. Fascinating. Because it, it started, you know, it really got people in England paying attention to how these um, slaves were being treated. Slavery and it started the abolition. Yeah. It helped with the abolitionist wow. movement. Wow. I've never heard of that one. Yeah. You know, you hear about, yeah. And this is my third it. time reading him. Before, really? Because of my... Because of my undergrad. (laughs) (laughs) Read him a lot in college, did you? Yes. Wow. Um, Okay, so that brings me to the first one, which is Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience by William Blake. Have you heard of William Blake? I have, um, but I have to tell you, my my first thought of Songs of Innocence and Songs of Experience is the U2 albums. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the ones that, that showed up on your iPod automatically remember that <laughs> when was that I don't, I don't know okay sorry well <laughs> but yes I am familiar with William Blake the poet yes and the printer I mean he oh he was the he, I'm showing Suzanne because oh my gosh, I have a tiny little ish, book this edition which is, looks like it would have been something like the size of what would have been published got, in 1789 it's got gold leaf on yes, the pages it's, it's let me just, just a beautiful little this real quick book. oh are you listening to this listen Listen to that. Ooh, gold leaf pages and beautiful illustrations. So he was a a poet, a printer, (gasps) but he was really concerned with with advocating for people who could not help themselves, with with children, with women. And he was fascinated with um, dualities and with the idea that there, you know, our human souls can be both good and evil. And um, these these poems are beautiful. I mean, he wrote Songs of Innocence in like 17... 89, which was also one of the other markers on the timeline for the beginning of the Romantic period. 
God, I do hope I get extra wow. credit on this. And ooh, but then la, songs, la. songs of Experience, I think, was seventeen ninety six. Okay, so so the, it is two books. They were two books, two but, separately. But then they yeah, they were also. I think there were maybe twenty two copies made. Clearly, this is a reprint. Yeah, but um, <laughs> you don't have the original right here I in don't. the KMUW studio. I don't. But um, they were, you know, combined often after that. But the reason I I saved this for last is as a segue to mm-hmm. something you want to talk about. Oh, something we both want to talk yeah. about, and that is James Mustick's 1,000 Books to Read Before You Die. Yeah. This book um, has been, uh, I, I don't want to say a Bible of sorts to Beth and I, but we both hold it in high regard because uh, James Mustick, so he began his career in bookselling at an independent bookstore in New York in the early 80s. And in 1986, he co-founded the book catalog called A Common Reader, and for two decades he handled that catalog. So he subsequently worked, he, he spent 14 years essentially compiling this book and talking to people in the publishing industry, talking to readers, and coming up with this list of a thousand books. Uh, he calls it a life-changing list on the cover. I cannot rave about this book more. And and it's not that I have read it cover to cover because that would be quite a feat. It is many, many pages. I'm looking at it here. We both have our copies here with the indexes and everything. It's uh, close to a thousand pages. Um, but he, it's just such a fantastic collection of formative books of consequential books of important books in history, unusual books. I mean, it's just, I I can't say enough about it, but it's in alphabetical order by author. And then there are also very well done indexes and a checklist in the back that will make you, that will make you incredibly embarrassed uh, to see how, (laughs) how few of these you've, you've actually read. Um, but I made a point um, a couple years ago. This book came out in, oh, goodness. It was 2018. Okay. So this book came out in 2018, and I made a point of at least reading the very, very first one he talks about, which is De- Desert Solitaire by Edward Abbey. <laughs> so I check, um, and then, you know, there's a, you know, maybe, I, I can't remember what my final count is of this thousand, but it's it's embarrassingly small. But I just, I, I just love it. it. It's everything from Harold and the Purple Crayon to Jane Austen. So is William Blake in here? I imagine he is. Yes. Okay. Now, Wollstonecraft and Equiano are not, Uh but William Blake is. And he, you know, Mustick, when he writes about these texts, I mean, it's just really well done why he's saying these books are important. But then, I mean, he was the one who prompted me to to find this little beautifully color-illustrated collection of, of Blake. So, yeah, it's in there, and yeah. I think I should check it off right now. Yeah, Songs of Innocence <laughs> and of Experience. William yeah. Blake, 1757 to 1827. Uh, he says, A Visionary's Testament in Words and Pictures. Oh, yeah, so he has, uh, Mustick in his book has a little picture of Blake's illustration for the lamb from Songs of Innocence. Mm-hmm. And the lamb is the William Blake poem that everyone is most familiar with, I think, isn't it? Um, what's, but look on this. Okay, so I have it open to William Blake. So William Blake is on the left side of this spread on page 82 of a Thousand Books to Read Before You Die. On the right side is, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. <laughs> Judy Bloom. You know, I mean, that's what's so great about this book. I just love it. And some of them are, are fairly new. If I remember right, Underground Railroad yes. by Colson Whitehead is in here. Right, um, anything through yeah, 2018, I guess, or thereabouts. And then I'm always surprised at what is not in here. Because... Right. Um, Oh, I remember 
maybe two years ago, I was on a waiting list for the library for um, the audiobook for the screw tape letters for oh, right. C.S. Lewis. Yes, I remember and that. I think we've talked about how I like to listen and read at the same time. So I pulled the book off my shelf. I had had that book on my shelf for 20 years and had never read it. Mm-hmm. But because I could have somebody reading it along with me yeah. and saying the words into my ears and maybe I could comprehend a little bit better. It is different. I, I read screw tape letters and then I go to, you know, go to the book to check it off. Is it in here? No. <laughs> Chronicles of Narnia, probably. Well, where is it, Lewis? Lewis. Well, I'm looking at, at, and while you look up Lewis, I've got it open to John Steinbeck. I'm a huge John Steinbeck fan, and it just isn't interesting to me which ones he chooses to put in here uh, on the actual list. And the two for Steinbeck are Grapes of Wrath and Travels with Charlie, which I really agree with. Because <laughs> I love both of those. Well, for C.S. Lewis, he has A Grief Observed, which I hadn't read. What? I've never even um, heard of it. But it prompted me to read it. Oh, that's right. Yes, we talked about that. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So I was able to check off A Grief Observed. And it was he, he just wrote about his wife and how much he missed his wife. It was oh, it was beautiful. And then also The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is of on here. Of course. Um, which prompted me to read it. But then I'm also in a reading group where we're reading all of the Chronicles of Narnia. I think we have two left. Really? Mm-hmm. How many are there? Seven. Okay. Gosh, I hope that's right. <laughs> I say it with such authority. Seven. Seven. <laughs> she says, and there are actually eight. I don't know. I just realized I... I think I am able to cross off Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery. I read that not too long ago. I read that during the pandemic, and I don't think I've crossed that off yet, but that's in here as well. Uh, but, you know, Beth and I love a good challenge. <laughs> yes, and we do. Um, unfortunately, we're both sort of completionists as well, and this is never going to happen with this one. So, um, but it's never nice say to, never. It's true. But we, I, I think. I have not held up my end of this challenge, but we did sort of challenge each other to read one book a month from this book, and I would like to get that going again. I think we were able to do it for a year. Yeah. Oh, I, you, I was you able were. to do it for a year. <laughs> you, you definitely were. I was you know, on again, off again, because there's so many new and shiny books out I there, know. Beth. I so know. many new and shinies. And so. with my undergrad reading, yeah. I was I'm able to check off so many yeah, of these books, are. which is nice. Well, like maybe Defoe's, if I go back to school, Robinson Crusoe. When I go back to school for my overgrad, <laughs> for overgrad school, <laughs> I will... Um, Maybe be able to check off more of these. You know, I just looked at my syllabus and I said, I get to read The Dead by Joyce, right? Oh, so yeah. I you turn in to, here. I love the way you're approaching this, Beth. I get to read <laughs> The Dead by James Joyce. And so I go to James Joyce and I'm looking for The Dead, right? No, no, no. It's not Dubliner's there. Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man and Ulysses. So, oh, is picture is picture of Dorian Gray in here? Because that's on my shelf. I, and um, this is going to sound really. <laughs> superficial I bought a very beautiful edition of this recently and it's making me want to read it um so yeah I guess I need to look that no up. the importance no. of being earnest oh okay well maybe I won't read it then no I'm just kidding <laughs> uh the other great thing about this book there's so many so many great things about this book again it's a thousand books to read before you die by James Mustick in the back he has a miscellany of special lists and uh, they, they include 12 books to read before you're 12, cities in fact and fiction, novel pleasures, offbeat escapes, listen up 12 terrific audiobooks. So he even, yeah, I mean, he even brings that into, into the picture here. Um, soul food, I mean, just really it, animal world. These are all, oh, oh my gosh, all creatures great and small. That was such a good book. Anyway, um, so that I just wanted to, I don't know, send a shout out, another shout out to James Mustick, 
for his wonderful book. Now, you have also brought to my attention that um, in on his website, he has created more lists, like for the extra long life. That's right. He's yeah, the next the next one thousand or whatever. So he's actually engaging with readers around the world uh, about what books they would add to this list. Uh, of course, there are new ones, but then there are, are, are older ones that just might not be on here for whatever reason. Right. And you know what they say about any kind of canon? It's it's all you know a matter of who assembles it yeah so so one person's 1,000 books will be very very different from another's but I just think he comes from such a uh, authoritative place and I think that uh, that this one is just very well curated like a like a good bookshop well and we would like to communicate with readers around the world so if you are up for a challenge you should join us in this reading challenge I mean we have so many but if you want if you end up reading any of these books and you want to have a public check off the list we would love for you to send us a tweet, an Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Tell them how we can do that. Yeah, Samantha. right. So you can email us at podcasts, that's plural, podcasts at kmuw.org. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at books and whatnot. That's books, A-N-D, whatnot. Or on Instagram at books underscore and underscore whatnot. We're also on Twitter as at Suze Perez ICT and at Beth Golay. We'd love to hear from you. Any kind of feedback or bookish topics you would like us to tackle in the future uh, or just whatever's on your mind. You know, here in Wichita, we have an incredibly vibrant reading community. There's lots of book groups and book discussions. Even during the pandemic, people met virtually. We do here at KMUW with Literary Feast. So it's just nice to hear from readers. So we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And that seems like a good place to stop. (laughs) yes it does i need to remember that at thanksgiving time (laughs) well that seems like a good place to stop see ya oh i don't know if i can get this up without laughing so thanks for joining us for books and whatnot until next time just keep turning those pages bye bye beth bye suzanne Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Producers are Haley Krausen and Jonathan Huber. And editors are Beth Golay, Suzanne Perez, and Luann Stevens. You can find more conversations and a list of titles discussed, plus Beth Golay's marginalia interviews and Suzanne Perez's book reviews at kmuw.org.